This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Would you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5? We're going to continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to go back to this passage that uh, is the staple for each of these sermons. Uh, the words will be on the screen. Uh, if you want to use the YouVersion app on a phone or tablet, you can also search under events in the YouVersion app for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes within the app as well. Let's begin reading together in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, as we have been studying the fruit of the Spirit, as we continue to study the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things that, that is laying on my heart is that as we're studying Him and learning more about Him, about his, his character, his quality, his nature, the work that he's doing in us, what I find is that what we're studying is, is going beyond my capacity to understand what it is that he's doing. And, and that's the way this is supposed to be. We're studying the Spirit of God, who, who is so significantly other than we are. That as we learn more about him, we're, we're going to be exceeding our capacity to understand. We're going to be learning about things that are of the Spirit of God. And we, we, we frame what we're learning off of what we do understand. And we allow, allow that, the truth of God's Word to, to stretch our understanding, to, to expand our capacity, to, to grow us in ways that maybe we're, we're not expecting. And that's what I love about studies like this, that they, they help us discover more about God. And, and, and while the, the reality of God is so incredibly immense and, and complex, our, our, our picture of who he is just slowly expands as we learn more and more about him. And what, what the fruit of the Spirit help us do in that process is they give us tangible things to take hold of as we're learning about the Spirit. We're talking about love and joy and peace, oh, this whole list of fruit that we do understand, things that, that we have a, a version of within our lives. And we're learning about how the Spirit produces those perfect fruit, the, the perfect examples of what these qualities are. And we see with each example exactly what it is that the Spirit is doing in us. And we begin to understand more and more about who he is and the way that he works. So that's, that's what I'm excited about as we continue studying this, this deeper understanding of the Spirit of God. As we talk about peace today, I want to I take a look at verse 26 uh, in this passage from Galatians 5. It's something we haven't specifically talked about. You notice that at the beginning of the sermons, we're, we're just talking generally about the fruit of the Spirit and our understanding of, of how they work in our lives and taking different examples and passages to, to expand that understanding. But this is, this is Paul teaching us about the Spirit of God and helping us understand about the peace that He produces in us. And, and notice that, that Paul presents to us the opposite side, that, that where there's peace, he also helps us wrap our minds around the tension that, that exists also. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. 
When we talk about the spirit who brings peace, we recognize the tension that, that, that we have to focus on resolving it. A, a tension that, that, that exists within us between flesh and spirit. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And now since we live by the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. There's this tension inside of us pulling us in, in different directions as, as we're, we're drawn by, by desire and yet longing to live according to the Spirit. We, we recognize the, the tension that exists there, the, this complex aspect of life pulling us in different directions. And when we recognize, when we focus on our own desires, like it says in verse 26, we, we fulfill this statement. We, we become conceited, provoking and envying each other as we chase after the things that build me up. We, we recognize that, that that puts us in opposition with other people. We encounter other people as, we, as we're filled with this selfishness. And, and in those people, we, we find a, a variety of responses. That maybe there's some people who would agree. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you are great. You, you should chase after those desires. We, we find some people who, who we encounter, and they bring a dose of reality. Uh, come on. Maybe you need to step back and take a real look at your life and, and how you fit in the world around you. We, we find other people who are also driven by the same selfish conceit that we are, and they say, well, you can't be as great as you think you are because I am. And then we have real conflict that we have to deal with. And, and that's the image that Paul points us to is, is all of this tension that exists around us when we pursue selfishness, when we promote self at the expense of other people. It creates this difficulty provoking people Destroying relationships as jealousy and envy then define who we are. These outcomes of conceit produce a life of conflict, a life of tension. And we recognize how significantly tension affects us in a variety of ways. There's, there's an internal tension. And we recognize that, that we're being pulled between the, the desires of the flesh and, and the ways of the spirit. We recognize we're being pulled between the, the, the influences that, that are pushing us and pressuring us. And, and as, we, as we are affected by all these things, all these tensions in our lives, we, we become fractured. The disarray defines us. There, there's tension in relationships that as we're wor working with other people, living next to other people, people that we like, that we want to be around, it, we find there's tension there as well as those, those relationships are strained and twisted and, and defined by conflict. We find a spiritual tension in our lives as, as we're continually pulled by the, the, the flesh and, and the spirit. We, we recognize that, that, that when we step away from the Lord, that there's a, there's a distance that we feel, an absence, that the, the, the desires that we're chasing after actually come between us and God. And we, we recognize the tension spiritually of, of what it is to rebel against God as we chase after pleasure. There's also the, the tension of the things in this world and our emotional response to those things, the, the pressures of society, the, the conflict, the uncertainty of the world around us constantly eroding our sense of, of peace. And as we learn about, about how the, the peace of God meets us in the midst of all this tension, the, the first way that we understand peace is, is how the, the peace of God helps resolve some of the tension. That's the beginning of our understanding of peace, that, that the Spirit works in us to, to bring that disarray into alignment, that our words and our thoughts and our actions are all surrendered to God and submitted to His way, and we, we are able to live with a new purpose, aligning our lives in one direction, that, that He helps bring about resolution of the tension in relationships as we 
we begin thinking outside of ourselves. Instead of being driven by selfishness, we then care for other people. And, and, and there's, there's some resolution to that tension between us and other people. As we, as we surrender those desires and temptations to God, we, we find that he provides peace in our relationship with him. The, the peace that he provides helps us in terms of the, the turmoil around us and the tension that's created by the circumstances that we face as we accept his sovereign power and control over and above all things, that we, we begin, just begin to understand the, the complexity of, of his peace when we think about the way those things get resolved. As, as we learn more about this peace, I want to examine some passages of Scripture. We begin in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. More of an understanding of how the Spirit is working in us. Here's what those words say. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the, the flesh desires. Those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and, and peace. It's important to think about how we How we allow our lives to take a certain path. Uh, typically, what the, the things that we do, and what co- one commentator suggested, that the things that we do kind of define our framework of, of mind, especially when we live according to the flesh. We allow influences, impulses, desires, decisions about what we're going to do to, to frame our picture of the world around us and our thought process about who we are in the world. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous thing to do, to, to be driven by action and desire, and to allow that to, to frame our thinking. As we live according to the Spirit, we, we, we make distinct moral decisions about what we're going to do, and, and we allow our understanding of God, that mental framework, to then define the things that we say and do and who we're going to be. That there's this division that comes, though, when we're stuck in between trying to decide who we're going to be. Think about how divided our lives become when we're pulled in different directions. Think about the the tension that we feel when we think about what it is to be committed to God. And and yet, while our desire is to honor him, we find ourselves acting in the moment without thinking, saying horrible things to people and hurting the the people around us. Maybe maybe we we attend church and we're proud to talk about our faith, and yet our lives don't reflect that, that faith that we claim, we're living and doing and saying things that, that are in complete opposition to that faith that we say is very important to us. There's a tension that surrounds us. Paul reminds us about the importance of choosing to live for what's important. When we refuse to, to make a decisive moral choice, we find ourselves swept by temptation, pressured by the world around us, easily swayed off center because of the people who, who want us to believe what they believe, because of the, the cultural influence pressing us to accept what is acceptable to people, corporate pressure to, to accept brands and what they stand for. There's so much influence in the world pushing us, and if we haven't made a decision personally, we haven't made taken a stand in our lives, we'll find ourselves swayed and swept by all the pressure and influence surrounding us in the world. When we make a decision to act according to the Spirit, we find His work in us, anchoring us, bringing about alignment, bringing all of the disarray into unity and harmony. The Spirit provides peace. 
as he guides us into alignment, as he, as he brings our thoughts and our words and our actions and our lifestyle, everything into alignment, surrendered to the Lord. We find purpose in that. We find meaning in that. We find, we find this, this sense of peace in knowing that we're, we're, we're living and working all for the same thing. And what, what helps us value that, that feeling of alignment and peace specifically is, is knowing how uncomfortable disarray is, how, how uncomfortable discord and chaos is in our lives. We realize how demoralizing it feels to live without that alignment. When our lives are in disarray, when our relationships are defined by animosity, when we know that we're inwardly divided, we have this unnatural desire to restore order, to bring peace where there's chaos, to resolve what's causing tension. Do you, do you live with someone who, who, who likes to have everything in order, everything in its place, and everything the right way? I do. And part of Part of me being who I am, when I, when I walk into a room and I see that everything is ordered and everything is in the right place, I like to just take one thing and move it and then wait to see how long it takes for somebody else to put it back. Quit it. It's fun for me. I know it's horrible for my wife, but, but that's just who I am. I just want to be honest about that. It's one of the things that I love about our, our marriage, that, that she's, she responds in such a fun way that I just delight in and creating disorder where she likes order. It, and then after she tells me to stop, I'll just, you know, move something on my way out of the room and wait to see how long it takes for those things to come back in order. Do you know what that feels like? If you're a musician, to hear beautiful music and then one flat note that changes the entire chord, and you just have this, this desire to, 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 to hit the right key so that the chord is, is made complete and resolved. It, it, there, there's a tension that, that rises in us when we see and hear and feel chaos that, that we want to bring order. I used to drive a 96 GMC Jimmy. It was green, dark green. I loved that vehicle. We bought it when we were newlyweds. Maybe, I think we bought it right before we got married. Paid it off. That's one of the things I loved about it. We weren't making any payments on it. And it was, it, it just fit me, that, that Jimmy. It felt right when I drove it. It just matched me. It was old and had lots of dings and, and faults in it. So, you know, it, I, just, I just felt right driving it around. And we decided that because it was paid for and because I liked it so much that I was just going to keep driving that Jimmy. And we were going to do necessary work to keep it safe and drivable, but we were going to overlook the things that weren't necessary. Superficial things. And that's one of the things that was hard to like about the Jimmys, because there were, there were many things wrong with it. There were little quirks, things that would, that would go wrong unexpectedly and then resolve themselves just as unexpectedly. There was an electrical problem in, in, that, in the Jimmy. And the, this electrical problem, for whatever reason, caused the battery terminals to corrode. And so I got it in, tried to start the car, nothing happened. The clock was on. There was still power, but not enough power to turn the starter. And so I got out, popped the hood, and saw this, like, horrible corrosion on the battery terminal. Like, what, what does that? So I took them off, cleaned everything, put it back on. It started right up. It was the weirdest thing. And, and occasionally, I would just have to do that. And then I didn't have to anymore, and it would start on its own. The, the heater, like the, the AC heater, 
would randomly stop heating. And I think, this is awful. I'm freezing driving around in the winter. And I think, okay, it's time to get, time to get this fixed. And it would just start working again. And I have no idea why. The windshield wipers would randomly quit. Now, I don't know when you use your, your windshield wipers. I only use them when I need them. And so I wouldn't know that they weren't working until I was driving in the rain. And I would turn them on, and they would turn, take a couple of swipes, and then stop, mid-swipe. And I'm, on the, I'm driving with rain all over the windshield, rolling down the window with like rain splashing me in the face, trying to pull over so that I could figure out what to do. Pop the hood in the rain. And what I, what I found was if I would take my ice scraper and bang on the windshield wiper motor, it would unfreeze the mechanism inside and it would just start going again. And so the first time I figured it out, the hood was all the way up and they were like banging against the, the hood. So I had to like partially open the hood, bang on the windshield wiper motor, and then they would go and they'd be fine for the rest of the trip. But then after a time of not using them, the next time I would try, whoop, they'd freeze. It was the weirdest thing. Eventually, we got to the place where we could no longer overlook the things that were, were wrong with this vehicle. But it was such a great car. And, and there was a tension in me when I drove it. And it, it's a tension that's hard to explain unless you've felt it. This, this tightening of the stomach, this, this dread that, that filled me, that not being able to depend on the thing that I'm depending on, knowing that it might fail me at the worst possible moment, hoping when I got into drive that I was going to get where I needed to go. That's what I felt when I drove that vehicle, this, this inability to depend on what I needed to depend on. And so I don't drive the gym anymore. And it's such a great feeling for me to be free from that tension of getting in a vehicle and not knowing for sure if I'm going to get where I need to go. It's a great feeling not to have a special set of tools in the back for those unexpected things that I knew how to fix in that particular way. It's, it's a great feeling for me to not have that dread, to not have that tension and that chaos when I drive. And, and that's how I, I value the peace that comes because I know what it is to feel the, the tension of chaos. Now, I could have... I could have paid to fix all those problems. I could have gone to my mechanic with a list of things that were unexplained <laughs> random failures and, and had him take care of them. But, but I know that taking a, a list to a mechanic means big money. And, and at the time, this is a 15-year-old vehicle. I don't want to put thousands of dollars into a vehicle. I had a great mechanic who would said, now I can fix this for you, but the, the bill is more than your car is worth. And I don't want to see you put that kind of money into a vehicle that's this old. And I appreciate him saying that to me. And so my goal was to spend as little money as possible keeping that car on the road for as long as I possibly could. And I lived with things that I knew were wrong. Now take, take that idea and let's, let's lay that idea of, of, over, over our spiritual lives. Think about what it means for us to, to, to be living, still drawn by the desires of the flesh, still tempted by sinfulness around us. Sometimes we have the same mentality. Now, we know there are things that are wrong. But we have this real 
mental battle about whether or not it's worth it to invest the time and energy and struggle in resolving those things that are wrong. And so we live with things that, that create problems. We live with things that, that create chaos, knowing that, that there is a solution, but, but maybe we're just a little too comfortable to go through the process of resolving all of that. Maybe, maybe we don't want to take time to take care of it right now. Maybe, maybe there's a part of us that still really wants to have these things still in our lives. And, and so we live with this, this dread, with this tension of, of knowing that we're going to be drawn and pulled, and yet, for whatever reason, we just let it be. We let, the, we let the, those things that are wrong remain. That's what happens when we focus on sin and we're driven by it. But, but we also recognize we're torn by that idea as well because while we, we aren't doing what we know we need to do to resolve those things that are wrong, we still are, have a desire to please God and live in his presence. And so we're, we're, we're tormented by, by this desire to please God and the, and the guilt and consequences of not being willing to surrender those things to him. When we focus on what the Spirit desires, we find, what Paul says, we find life and peace. We find the, that, that tension, that dread, gets resolved as we surrender those things to him. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds are brought into alignment. Our actions are, are given to him. And notice that as the Spirit aligns these aspects of our lives, that not only does that tension resolve personally for us, spiritually for us, but, but that tension in relationships also begins to get better. As, as we live for a, a purpose outside of ourselves, as we no longer are driven by selfishness, but, but are living for the Lord, that, that's something that, that makes an impact in a variety of places in our lives as we devote ourselves to the Lord. In that devotion, we learn the wisdom that he has for us about how we should live our lives. In, in the book of James, we, we, we read about this, this wisdom, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Here's what he says. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That's wisdom. Now, I'm just giving you information about wisdom. Information does not define wisdom. Knowledge is not wisdom. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can have all the information in your head. Random facts. Useful facts. That, that's intelligence. That's not wisdom. When you live according to that truth, that's wisdom. When you allow that information to affect your life, that you make your decisions based on that knowledge, that's what wisdom is. These instructions that we have from Scripture provide for us great information that becomes wisdom when we apply it to our lives. And this wisdom sets us apart in this world. It calls us to live a distinct life. It calls us to live outside of the norm as we surrender to the work of the Spirit and, and allow Him to bring about peace. And what we find is that the peace that is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace is sustained in our lives when we focus on what is right. Now, we, we're talking a lot about what the Spirit does in us, about the things that we can't do for ourselves. This, this point in the sermon, it sounds a lot like something we do to attain peace. But, but let me be clear. In order for the Spirit to work in us, we have to be open to Him working. We have to be submitted, surrendered, for these fruit to continue to grow. And, and 
when we're given to things that aren't right. We close ourselves off to the work of the Spirit. When we focus on the things that are right, that's when we, we see the real fruit of the Spirit growing. He does work in ways that we can never work, but we have to do our part to be in the right time and place, to open our lives for him to work in us. And notice that when we struggle with temptation and sin, that, that's, that's a time in us when we close ourselves off to his work. And, and in that closing, we also create tension. When we surrender all of those things to the Lord, when we, when we surrender, we find relief to that tension. We find peace. It takes place in us, and it's sustained in our lives as we focus outside of ourselves, we focus on caring for others. Notice what, what James says here, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There's two, two parts to this. First is the casting out of seeds of peace, sowing of peace in, in lives and relationships. The second is, is the harvest that comes. Now, these are, these are farming terms, if you're not aware. Sowing, reaping, harvesting. These are, these are terms that point to patience, diligent cultivation, work, and also allowing time for things to grow. These aren't, these aren't supermarket terms. This isn't about showing up at, at the grocery store with the right amount of money to get whatever you want. These aren't fast food terms where you go through the drive-thru and you get everything you want, the way you want it, when you want it, where you want it. These are farming terms that remind us of, of the way the Spirit works in us, cultivating, growing, developing, sometimes slowly, the things that need to be grown. And we have an, a hand in, in that, especially in our relationships. As, as we live for this peace, we sow that peace in our relationships. We cast those seeds, and as they grow, as we allow time for those things to cultivate, as we, we diligently work, allowing the Spirit room in our lives, that's when the harvest is produced, this fruit that grows and blossoms in us and in our relationships. It makes a significant impact. It helps us understand so clearly what it is that he's doing. And that is the work of God to bring about peace. The Spirit does this by his indwelling presence, producing this fruit. Jesus also very specifically works for our peace. The book of Ephesians, this letter Paul wrote, uh, chapter 2, beginning verse 13, points us to that idea. But now in, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made two groups, those who are far and those who are near, two groups, one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's the peace of God being restored, reconciled. And, and it's a peace that, that sometimes we work for, sometimes we try and create on our own. And when we do, what we, what we accomplish by our own effort is, is a flawed reproduction of the original. It's like the difference between seeing a picture of the ocean 
and standing with your toes in the sand and smelling the salty air and seeing the, the sunset over the waves. There's a huge difference between a reproduction and the original. When I was a kid in elementary school, in the, in the teacher's workroom, they had this big machine taking up an entire wall. It, it was, a, a, I think they called it a, a mimeograph. We, we called them dittos. They had this big drum, and they would put the master on the drum. And they had this horrible, like, bluish-purple ink. And sometimes they would, like, one of the teachers would ask us to go and, and get the, the dittos off the machine. And it would just, like, turn, cha-chunk, cha-chunk, cha-chunk. And, and these horrible copies would come off the original. Blurry blue ink. These were, like, the worksheets that they had us do. I don't know if you're old enough to remember dittos. I'm probably just, like, only speaking to a few people here. But it, it, was, it was awful trying to read. It was like trying to figure out what the tattoo on your grandpa's arm was supposed to say. It's just like a cloud of, of bluey ink. That, that's the image of, of what we get when we try and accomplish the things of the Spirit on our own. We get this, this, this version of the original is similar, that you can, you, if you squint and turn your head, you can kind of see how it resembles, but, but it's so much less than what, what would be accomplished if we would just open ourselves up and let the Spirit in to produce His fruit in us. This peace that comes from Him, that, that is grown, is strengthened as we surrender to the Lord, as we open our lives to the work of the Spirit in us. And, and Paul's words here remind us of, of that, that work and the fullness of what God is doing. Providing authentic peace. A peace that fills us and resolves the spiritual tension we experience. When we choose sin and that sin stands between us and God, Jesus came to remove that obstacle. Jesus came to restore that relationship, to redeem us, and to reconcile us to himself. To make payment for the offense so that nothing would stand between us and him, so that our relationship would be renewed. A peace that's cultivated, that resolves the, the problem of sin and brings us into this peace. In the book of Philippians, Paul wrote about this peace. This will be our last passage for this morning. It's chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Here's what he said. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the thing about peace that we need to understand. The, our, the beginning of our understanding of peace is, is when that peace resolves tension around us. We, we learn what, what that resolution feels like. But, but the peace of God, the fruit of peace that's present in our lives, it, it guards us and protects us. It stands, guards, stands guard over our hearts and minds, shielding us in, in this bubble of protection from the things around us. And it does so in a way that we can't begin to understand. It, it defies our understanding. It, the things that I know about, about God and his peace, now all of those things fit within a neat little box. The, the peace of God is outside of that box. It goes so far beyond what I can begin to believe and understand. It's so greater, so much more significant. It surpasses understanding. It reminds me of how completely other God is. Everything that could threaten my peace 
Every insurmountable obstacle in this world, every overwhelming situation is smaller than God and easily confined, easily by His peace. What I've learned about peace is that it's a matter of trust. And trust is a difficult thing for us because it's been broken so many times in our lives. Peace is a matter of of trusting God's sovereign control, of beginning to understand that God will guard and protect your heart and mind. Not that he can guard and protect your mind, that he will guard and protect your mind and your heart through his peace. It's a trust that we depend on, knowing that it will never fail. Now, when I told you about my Jimmy, the car that I drove, you remember me saying, Here, here's, here's a feeling that you can only understand if you've experienced it. It's this dread of not being able to depend, to depend on something that you want to depend on. Now, I said that knowing that most likely all of you have felt that tightness in your stomach, that tension, that, that pressure on your heart. The, the dread that comes from tension and turmoil and uncertainty. In, in whatever way you've experienced it, we live in a world that thrives on this tension. A world that's full of uncertainty, a, a world that, that is racked with war and strife, uh, economic upheaval, uh, of discord, of conflict and controversy, of defining people by the things that make them different. We live in a world of tension and the peace of God that we begin to understand when he resolves the tension in our lives is also explained to us and, and understood by us as we feel him guarding us and protecting us from that tension as we continue to remain in the world, we, we find a peace in him that, that lifts us, that, that carries us through that turmoil and tension, that doesn't, doesn't resolve everything around us, but yet it, it lifts us because it, it draws our perspective to what God is doing, how God is working in us to grow us and, and develop us and draw us closer to him as we face that difficulty and tension. And what I've learned is that the most significant growth that has happened in my life has not come about because I was comfortable and everything was right in the world. The most, the, the most significant growth that's taken place in my life was because of significant tension and turmoil and uncertainty that God worked in me through it. That, and that in all things, God was working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That I saw God at work because things were so bad. I found a time and place to surrender everything to him, knowing there was nothing left for me. All I had left was to look to him. That's how the peace of God meets us in the difficulty of life and truly does the things of God in us. That's the peace that we're called to embrace. That's the fruit of peace that that we begin to understand when we are facing the most difficult things in this world, and we have a peace that, that is beyond what anybody can even begin to comprehend. People look and say, what? 
How are you not falling apart right now? And we know it's because of what God is doing. We know it's because of his protective hand shielding us, our hearts and minds, growing us and developing us. That's the peace that, that goes beyond anything we can even fully understand and yet does so much in us and through us.